Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. Fulfillment and supply chain have such a significant impact on both the consumer experience and achieving profitability in Omnichannel. That's why we wanted to dig into the relatively new area of micro-fulfillment. The ability to harness data about your consumers at a zip code level and turn that into the right product and assortments, manage inventory and availability close to the consumer, and get them their product fast is offering many companies reduced fees, improved inventory transparency, and lower costs. Corey Apirian, CEO at DaVinci Micro-Fulfillment, Join Lauren Levack and me to discuss micro-fulfillment's place in an overall fulfillment strategy and some examples of companies that are using it to shift to a more profitable, customer-friendly, and sustainable business. Corey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to chat with us. We're, we're really grateful. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm super excited to be here. This is one of my favorite and best podcasts that exists, so... I'm honored. <laughs> well, first of all, you need to listen to more podcasts, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> At least in our sector, I would appreciate that. Thank you. But there are some uh, murder podcasts that my husband loves that you might want to. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I mean, you have such an enormous wealth of experience in the merchandising space, and you were you you were actually Amazon's first drop shipper in 2004. So we got stuff to talk about. Um you know, brands today, they're all struggling with fulfillment and trying to get closer to the customer and make it profitable and supply chain issues. There's so much going on. And you're in this, this space called micro-fulfillment, and which is a way that can help with some of those challenges that people are having with fulfillment. But um, I, I thought before we dive into the why of, uh, you know, the value of that, um, how do you define micro-fulfillment for your customers? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I define it as a miniaturized fulfillment center in a hyper local area. The word miniaturized is very relative. GoPuff and DoorDash may operate a five thousand square foot MFC micro fulfillment center. Amazon has seventy five thousand to one hundred fifty thousand square foot MFCs in comparison to their three hundred five hundred thousand square foot fulfillment centers and four million square foot motherships. I like a 35 to 50,000 square foot location for Da Vinci's purposes for a variety of reasons. And a lot of it really comes down to OPEX, operational expense, and, and essentially inventory control becomes the ultimate thesis of micro-fulfillment and how you get goods closer to the customer. And that's something that we'll unpack a lot here today, I think. And Corey, when you think about how micro-fulfillment and just fulfillment in general has changed in the past few years... What are you seeing from brands? And more importantly, if you look back to 2004 and what happened in Amazon and what's going on now, like what is the change happening and, and why do you think it's happening? I worked for a wholesale distributor in 2004 who was one of three companies that Amazon asked to start fulfilling product in their home and garden division and personal care electrics and consumer electronics. So there was, there was maybe about like out of those subcategories, like three to six different distributors and the reality is brands are the one asked to do the heavy lifting, but they're terrified of single piece eaches and single piece returns. And their systems yeah. aren't really meant for that, right? They're moving master cartons and pallets and truckloads and their ERP environments, their SAPs, their oracles are really designed around that bulk movement of goods into a modular, right? On At retail, at shelf. And in, in, the, in the 2004 era, like 
you had to sell it to somebody for them to break it down into fulfillment of eaches in most cases in order to sell online. And Amazon de designed a lot of their system in their vendor central world specifically around like Walmart, right? So like they mimicked what it looked like from a brand to a Walmart or a Target FC and a lot of early operations leaders at Amazon were Walmart operations leaders. So it makes sense when you think of that evolution. But when you think about pick and pack, like most people in a very complex distribution center in one to maybe three areas around the country max for 15 plus years, and, and it was usually one, right? It was usually one really large distribution center that moved eaches, bulk cases, pallets, et cetera. And like that complexity equals cost. So when you think of the evolution and you think of how 3PLs existed and distributors existed and how brands, you know, shipped into Amazon FCs. And then you had all these other retail channels of walmart.com and target.com with these massive extended assortment businesses outside of what's inside the four walls and the brick and mortar and the modular shelf. Like each one of these channels became a, a different need on how to sell to them, which is one of the reasons the merchandising component of microfilm and specifically what DaVinci does is so critical because there's a different selling style and assortment of how you sell to an omni-channel retail, how you sell to Amazon vendor and seller central, how you sell to a marketplace, right? Including in that seller central world, but others, how you sell to D2C and Shopify. And when you look at the entree of marketplaces and you look at the entree of D2C, like these became new nuances for either digitally native brands, right? Who are only selling in those channels or brands that were starting to build those relationships with their end consumers through those channels or marketplaces when brands are trying to control a price or take, take advantage of a global trillion dollar market. But is marketplace better than dropship 1P for a brand? Like, I think that's very specific conversation. I think it depends on yeah. the ecosystem and all these things. So it, it becomes this totally connected environment, this connected ecosystem and micro fulfillment is that evolution of at least getting closer to the customer so you can understand from a hyper-local perspective, like what zip codes and categories and regionalities and seasonalities are you really servicing? And then you can work backwards and figure out how to service them in the most efficient way. And Corey, I... Oh, go ahead, Lauren. I'm sorry. I just want to make one clarification just to make sure everyone listening is familiar with like eaches and inners and, and some of the language because... I know that sometimes learned if you're if you're kind of new to supply chains. So there's a master, an inner, and an each. And there's probably a different UPC, GTIN, you know, some sort of item code specific to each one of those. And or in, in some cases it might be the same, which adds even more fun to, to the, the channel. And when you talk about Amazon and department stores and and other channels, like you really only could have one UPC per ASIN, per you know, target. ID per Walmart ID, you know, so on and so forth. So that becomes its, its own challenge. And, and one of the things that DaVinci has done is we have designed an order management system in, in order to enable these infinite permutations on these differentiated channels. So you're not selling the same item to every channel and you have the ability, especially as a CPG, to differentiate and break out these different permutations based on market basket analyses and demographics so that you can merchandise, but then you can continue to replenish and get inventory closer based on what I call this network optimization of how you get goods closer to the end consumer off of the similar master cartons and core componentry. Uh, so you're creating density for brands and then ultimately density for the carriers and end consumers.
that's really the mind shift that has happened. I know to me personally, you know, I'm I'm sure for our people that are in it every day, it's not such a big shift. But the idea that fulfillment is not just logistics and being able to send something, it's actually a merchandising challenge and an assortment challenge. And so when you think about micro-fulfillment with that holistic sense of what it actually represents to both, you know, distribution partners and and uh, and the brand's customers, retailers, et cetera, and then ultimately the consumer. Why is microfilming a great option for brands in that context? And what are the things that they need to be thinking about um, in terms of its place in their overall, you know, go to market? Yeah, microfilming is really all about forward deployed inventory. So you would use like a CFC or a, dish, a centralized fulfillment center or a distribution center as your storage. Like if you, I don't love the word hub and spoke because it's, you know, it's got some different connotations for, for certain people that I think might, but it, you know, might be not as specific here, but um, it's probably the best representation easily for, for people to understand. You know, you have these large distribution centers going out to these micro fulfillment center hubs where you're utilizing sortation, and, um, you know, that this forward deployed inventory model to continue to get closer to the customer. And when you think about like some of the pain points in the industry, you know, you talk about urbanization, you talk, you talk about uh, getting closer to the customer in terms of data sets and understanding product assortment and variety. You talk about inventory control and replenishment challenges. You talk about really understanding um that the last mile is the most expensive mile in the chain. So getting closer to the customer is really the opportunity and people want stuff fast, but more importantly, they want stuff precise. So when you're, when you go back to this hub and spoke concept concept, it's really all about precision and it's all about inventory control. And when you, when you think of just like, just to unpack what I said earlier, like on, on a simple hub and spoke model, uh, getting inventory closer to the customer and deploying it out for precision might have different connotations. So if you're using a local carrier who's doing same day, next day deliveries, it's hard to control the speed of that unless you're you're managing that from that, that sort center specifically. So again, getting, sorry. No, I was just saying, because so much of what's become, when I look at, at what a lot of the industry analysts, you know, the Gartner's Forsters, particularly Emily Pfeiffer, um, at at Forrester writes really thoughtfully about this that that what's on the the top of the list for for this industry is really inventory transparency that that the the, the ideal experience is that um, a a consumer in the moment or a B two B buyer can know instantly when they're going to get their thing and they care somewhat less about it get there fast in that it get there when you said it would get there. And that's, I understand, beneath the surface, very hard to understand. And I would imagine that micro-fulfillment makes it easier to get it does. clarity on that, right? That's the exact thesis here. And like Amazon came out with uh, some news a few weeks ago that launched, I think in the Wall Street Journal covered that about how they basically were building all these same-day facilities that were 75,000 square feet. And everybody kind of like went crazy over that. And you know, I think the the story there is actually not that it's a same day facility. Like same day, to your point, Peter, it, that's just a byproduct of them getting closer to the customer because it's the efficiency. But the story there is that they just returned thirty million square feet of 
500,000 square foot buildings and they went out and got these 75,000 square feet locations because the OPEX was way too expensive on those larger buildings and it was too much for even their capacity, which they have 50% of the US volume, right? So if it's too much for them, like obviously we're onto something here. And, you know, Target used their stores as micro-fulfillment centers and now just invested in all these mixing centers and sortation centers, right? And and all the whole premise of, of all of those things is for precision and speed. And it's really comes down to like a lowering of your OPEX because it's it's not profitable to do it really any other way. So you need, when you think of this hub and spoke model, like your A items, your children's Tylenol, if you think about like a CVS, like that's always on the shelf in your neighborhood CVS. You can go to any CVS really in the world and you're probably gonna, gonna find children's Tylenol or at least in the US, right? Uh, you know, when you go to, um, you know, a hospital and you, you break your leg, you're not going to a CVS urgent care for that. That's like more specialized, right? So like you think about like from an inventory perspective, a CFC is going to hold your like C and D SKUs and, and your micro fulfillment centers are going are to hold your A and B SKUs and like the C SKUs that ship a lot with the A SKUs and the C SKUs that ship a lot with the B SKUs. So like inventory management becomes again, this, this complete thesis here of how you manage micro fulfillment in my opinion. And it also, and you mentioned this a bit before, but I just want to double click on it a bit. It enables a better assortment planning, right? So you can also do things like gift packs and different combinations that you might not be able to do in a traditional setting because the logistics and the agility to be able to do that just isn't there, right? You can't make those changes that quickly. Can you talk through maybe how, from a brand perspective, they could think about doing something like that with micro-fulfillment? Yeah, absolutely. And and this again goes back to understanding these hyperlocal zip codes and buying habits and when you're when you're merchandising and selling to an agnostic channel envir- environment, right? Your Amazon direct fulfillment versus your Target dropship versus your Walmart marketplace versus your Shopify D2C and you can see all this real-time data set of what's happening. And then you're you're able to create AB testing or test and learn that are speaking to the demographics of those different channels, right? You might have Target and Walmart as mass retailers in the same pack. You might have Amazon in a different pack size to keep them outside of it. You may have your your club channels in a much larger pack size or variety packs of much larger pack sizes. However, you end up merchandising that. But if you think about a large centralized fulfillment center and not having the right order management technology to manage that, you're you're looking at a kind of needle in a haystack to go get two inventory sets and consolidate them which when you have 500 people, 300 people in a building and you have all this traditional racking and, and you know mechanized equipment and things like that, it becomes very hard to manage inventory, becomes very costly and, and you know inefficient to be walking from one end to the other. And that's where automation and robotics really comes in, in the use of a micro fulfillment center. So not only are you creating more capacity and throughput, but your, your inventory control becomes a lot easier from a process of decanting inventory into an automation system and then having a, a picking system, you know, automate bringing goods, goods to a person for packing, right? And that's why you you hear a lot about automation combined with micro fulfillment in a lot, you know, in, in the back of a grocery store and, you know, uh, in different distribution centers and different, you know, MFCs, right? Like automation is a critical component, but if you just think of like the sheer cost of automation, inside of a 500,000 square foot building or a million square foot building, you're talking about tens of millions of dollars worth of expense. So there's not, not everybody can afford to do that. But when you look at it from a micro fulfillment center, 
you can get a larger return on your investment when you're automating a smaller footprint building, when you're getting closer to the customer. So you, you have less labor, you have less utilities, you have less equipment, you have less freight costs, you know, and, and you get to have a very large assortment of products, but you're utilizing these inventory sets in a very smart and efficient way when you're giving customers like that shampoo and conditioner set that they can't get at the target shelf because they know that that 16.9 ounce of shampoo has been on that target shelf for 20 years and like their cost per cube and their cost per turn has just been what it is for for that long right but online the customer wants a two pack of shampoo and a one pack of conditioner because of their own usage so by understanding those buying habits and seeing that data set you can cater something to them that's very different and utilize online to drive in line and and so on and so forth and also, if you bring it back to a profitability standpoint, if you have a different assortment, you're also combating a lot of the price matching that happens between Amazon, Walmart, and Target, because you're not selling the same exact product. So not only are you saving money from a micro-fulfillment perspective, but you're also saving from a price matching perspective because you're selling different products on different retailer sites. So- and that, that's something for the past 20 years that I've been doing you know, very uniquely with, with brands that I've helped. And I will say that's one of the single biggest reasons of why DaVinci has been designed this way is to give brands that control to enable that and to protect themselves in a way with these very precise feeds of inventory and and assortment planning that really ultimately benefits them and their retail partners in such a great way, right? 100%. You don't need to go to sell to a distributor anymore. You don't need to go jam things into Amazon, you know, fulfillment centers or, or hope to maybe get a purchase order on a new ASIN that you're creating a bundle for and have to waste all these resources to pick and pack it and tie up expiring goods. And maybe it doesn't sell. So now you got to rip it all apart and throw the inventory out because it's all expired. And from a profitability standpoint, especially nowadays, brands need to find these little ways where they can save money. So this is a great opportunity from a fulfillment perspective and a price perspective. And so Corey, a lot of brands maybe might say to you when listening to this or when talking about micro-fulfillment that they already have a large fulfillment team and it's part of their supply chain. And why would they add on micro-fulfillment and kind of change the process that they're doing today? Or would they need to replace everything that they're doing? Or is this just an add-on? Like, how would you answer that if a brand came and asked you that question? Yeah, I mean, the answer really is looking at the data. Right. And it's like understanding where do you have ways to save money and create incremental sales and micro fulfillment is likely going to unlock a lot of those things. And I I look at the ecosystem as Amazon and not Amazon verse. And when you think about that, it's like, how do I continue to manage Amazon and my other channels in a way where I'm getting closer to the customer? And I think the answer is like, you have like, most brands aren't going to go out and invest in 15 micro fulfillment centers across the US or 20, you know, micro fulfillment centers or whatever it is. There's 14 cities in the US that create next day coverage, uh, 100%. Like today, DaVinci has six buildings where 85% of the US, 100 next day, 100, uh, 100% today. Uh, you know, so when you think about like our network and there's others out there that have multiple facilities, like brands should be figuring out ways where they can have the right order management technologies by, you know, really helping to quarterback what's closest to the end consumer. So if you can create density and in inventory, if you can create integrations with all these channels and marketplaces, it becomes very possible for a brand to utilize one or two of their buildings and then basically mix in other micro fulfillment centers across the network to service additional channels, whether that's DaVinci or, or somebody else. I don't, I don't think, I think most 
large brands, enterprise brands that I talk to, and even many others, right? You don't have to be an enterprise brand to think this way. Like they want to focus on their core competency. And most of their core competencies are either digital marketing or, you know, product design and development and, and brick and mortar and, you know, pulling products through end to end. And maybe they have inventory forward deployed from their distribution centers, but they're not set up for pick and pack, right? And they don't want to be like, it's a totally different skill set. It's not their core competency. It goes back to that distribution center versus micro fulfillment center. They're just two different animals, really. So outsourcing that piece of it to somebody that is really focused on forward deployed inventory and fulfillment of each is, again, your single piece units, uh, like it, it is, is a really big deal, right? And most brands want to be able to do that. So their fulfillment teams are one piece of the equation, but their technology teams, their e-commerce leadership teams, their finance teams, like understanding tax nexus, like all of these different components are like their demand planning teams are so connected, but they're, 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 they don't have the tools yet to be able to manage that. And I don't think they want them in many cases. And it's not like a rip and replace. It's like you're enhancing it's not. what's yeah, already exactly. happening. It's and exactly I think right. that's an important thing to call out because it also enables test and learns. You were already talking about that where, hey, can we try a micro fulfillment center? Can we test and learn? Can we see what data we can gather from it to then better understand our assortment and how we should be planning and then kind of expand from there? Would you say that's a good kind of strategy to jump in and start? Test and learn is one thing, but I would say the most important thing right now, especially when you look at Amazon, like Amazon's really hard to work with by shipping 100% of your goods in vendor or seller central and, and maintaining bulk environments only with Amazon, right? FBA has punitive metrics on turns and inventories. Amazon 1P has, you know, week, weeks of cover issues that everybody's been dealing with right now transparency program, hazmat program. I mean, there's all these different things, right? You know, freight allowances are getting higher, uh, you know, getting inventory set up and, and you know, moving on new new ASINs, you know, the, the famous crap list, right? You can't realize a profit list, you know? So like fulfillment and direct fulfillment specifically, especially when you're positioned in, to deliver goods in, in one to two days across the US and you can enable a prime badge through performance on direct fulfillment, you get control, you get backup supply on your inventories. I mean, backup supply itself is something that I've done for close to 20 years with Amazon. And it's such an important piece of the business, like 10 to 20% of volumes would likely come from backup supplying your top ASINs with direct fulfillment by just by just having them feeding inventory. That, that's a huge number. When you're thinking about marketing and you, you want to talk about you know, low hanging fruit of maintaining inventory. We all know how the inventory algorithms work at Amazon. When you're spending money on digital marketing, like it, the second you go out of stock, that's a problem, right? So if you're always in stock and you're always controlling that and interoperating your, your bulk business with direct fulfillment, and then utilizing that as an anchor to then create these differentiated bundles or long tail goods or anything that has an SIOC fee, or again, is a hazmat item and unique ground deliveries. And Amazon doesn't have a lot of space for that or whatever the instance might be, you know, you, you now get control and agility as a brand and you can do things and pull levers at different times that are really important to your business without being beholden to a vendor central PO on a Monday or a Wednesday, right? Wow. You're talking about a lot of pain in that, uh, that, that needs to be solved in the, in that line. So I, I mean, I, I love what you're talking about. Let's bring it to life for our listeners. If you have an example of a brand that you've worked with where you've seen this kind of business value from, 
from introducing this strategy? Yeah, multiple. I mean, we have a very large water company. Uh, well, I'll, I'll keep the, the brand name confidential for for purpose of this, but one of the largest water companies out there. And, you know, they moved 100% of their inventories over a year ago into DaVinci's network for direct fulfillment. And, you know, that's a scary thing to do to just pick up everything from Amazon. But on the other side of it, there was SIOC fees, there was erratic ordering. Just to clarify for the audience, SIOC is ships in own container, sometimes also referred to SIOC, just because I want to make sure all the acronyms are are good there. Sorry. Fair point. SIOC in the in the early days is ingrained into my my brain and so many people call it SIAC now and it it's just yeah it's one and the same but yeah thank you for clarifying that Lauren appreciate it um and ultimately like all of these fees the shortages the chargebacks all of these things can add up on your PL in a really inefficient way and when you're talking about water like you can have a high weight low value item like a beverage and that could have a very high freight allowance when going into Amazon's FCs as well so for direct fulfillment, by putting inventory in all of DaVinci's locations in the right quantities at the right time, we were essentially able to increase this brand sales last year over 15% year over year and drop well over 12% to the bottom line just by removing all of the other fees that existed. So there was like a 20 plus percent net margin improvement on this particular brand. And, and basically all we did was just keep them in stock the entire time and move it to direct fulfillment. Now, I'm not saying every brand should move in 100% into direct fulfillment, but that's just one specific example of how powerful that could be. Wow. Uh, got another one for me? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of them. There, there's another brand that's in the textile space that uh, historically had shipped into brick and mortar uh, for 30 plus years. And we launched a different uh, set of bath towels, hand towels, and washcloths on target.com. And we took those core components of receiving containers from their factories into our MFCs and started shipping them and building these bundles out on Target, Walmart, Amazon, so on and so forth. And on Target specifically, this six-piece set of bath towels, hand towels, and washcloths did so well that within the, within 90 plus days, we started ordering direct containers from the factory of ships and own container towel sets that are now their, their top selling items. So we reduced all of that carbon emission, that waste of corrugate. Uh, we, we created more density and profitability for them by getting more goods into the, into the container. And we created a new SKU like out of thin air, really, for Target.com that is, is not sold on any other channel other than there right now. And to Lauren's point, like so much of this in the current period, getting getting this business profitable now that sort of the the testing of of the digital shelf is kind of over and the 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 jury's in for for the fact that it's an important part of the business moving forward. It needs to be rationalized like everything else. And so to to hear success stories like this um, in this sort of complex setting is is I think really important for this next period where profitability and rationalizing the business becomes super important. I, I fully agree with that. I, I think, you know, one of the things that sets DaVinci apart as a fulfillment company in general, we utilize micro fulfillment centers because it's a very efficient and cost-effective way that we can pass through to brands and be very purposeful and a very purposeful set of tools for them to enable growth within their ecosystem. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, Brands need to sell on dropship, D2C, and marketplace channels, and they need to have agility to be able to do that. 
And the only way, in my opinion, you can do that is with a combination of technology and a physical location network. However, that happens, right? I'm obviously partial. Da Vinci's built that out, right? And we, we're helping brands every day with this, but that doesn't mean we're the only game in town. But brands need to have control and agility, and ultimately, they need proximity to the end, end consumer. And, and to your point, Peter, like we have seen this movie for a while now, and a lot of the testing is done. You can still test and learn. I think e-commerce is an amazing place to test and learn, but there is a core assortment online that you can optimize through micro-fulfillment centers. And back to the CVS example of children's Tylenol that I was giving earlier, I mean, urgent care and CVS is the brick and mortar format of micro-fulfillment, right? By having online MFCs being supported, right, for forward deployed inventories and precise same-day, one-day, two-day deliveries, depending on what the consumer's needs are. I mean, that's the future. That's where things are moving to. You're seeing Walmart and Target and Amazon all opt in. We just happen to be one of the games that are doing it for brands who operate in these multi-channel fulfillment environments. And I also think you had mentioned it briefly, but sustainability is also a factor here. And I think for a lot of brands and a lot of organizations as a lot of legislation is changing globally around the world and they're thinking more about sustainability. When you talk about ships in own container and creating different gift sets and just packaging differently and, and shipping differently, that's also something to consider when you're thinking about micro-fulfillment. Would you agree with that as well? I would fully agree. And it's one of the reasons that I started DaVinci, truthfully. I mean, just think about carbon emissions itself with you know the parcel carriers. I mean, 95% of you know, the country's volume is still delivered by FedEx, UPS, post office. But when you're optimizing a zone two delivery, which is kind of the best you can get with FedEx and UPS, and they're going from Cali to Cali, right? And just a zip code within instead of Miami to Seattle in the most egregious example, like think about the different stops that the truck has to go on and the different sortation centers and all the different things that are happening in those environments that are negative to sustainable sustainable practices, right? And then when you think about microfilament on a D2C channel specifically, like you can start to enable reusable packaging. You don't need the same amount of corrugated when you're going from point to point deliveries, which are typically anywhere from zero up to maybe at max 70 miles around a microfulfillment center. And typically that's like zero to 30 or zero to 50 uh, for most of the local carriers that exist. And, and that becomes a really profitable and sustainable and safe delivery. Like Talk about reverse logistics in that same breath, like over 25% of the trillion dollars wasted in reverse logistics globally is due to damaged products, you know, being shipped by the carriers. I mean, we've seen like customers call up, you know, or send an email into some Shopify stores that we service with a certain parcel carrier, like literally kicking a box of beverages down a driveway to a, a customer's oh doorstep and like... Oh. That's the most egregious example, but we that that is a real thing, right? And yeah. you know, a, a gig economy worker, you know, may or may not still do that, but at the end of the day, the chances of like you know that product getting damaged on a sortation belt or thrown on and off a truck, right? That's going to improve the safety of those different product types. You know, I remember Corey when I when I went through your LinkedIn and just got to know you a little bit. One of the posts that stood out to me that I think is now maybe two years old or maybe more, but you were celebrating your first year in business at that time. And it's a picture of you, uh, you know, facing towards one of your, your um, fronts of your buildings with, you know, your infant son in your arms. And when, when you think about that, like the role that this can play 
in that drive to make sure the next generation can actually live on this planet. I just thought that a that picture was incredibly cool. How proud you are of what you're building for you and your family, but also, you know, hopefully to have a, a positive impact on the world. I think is great. I won't lie. Uh, there was a little bit of a marketing spin there too. His name is Leo, <laughs> and one of the reasons were Da Vinci. Oh, I love that. I love it. That's so good. Yay. Is he painting any ceilings in your house yet? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. But he's a great builder, so I'm sure he will one day. That's great. That's amazing. Corey, can I just ask one uh, question before we close out? And I'm just curious, this, this might not apply, but are there any specific categories that might see maybe more benefit from micro-fulfillment? Like I'm thinking refrigerated goods or food, or maybe like chocolate that melts, right? Like, is there any specific category where you've seen micro-fulfillment just be much more important because of the zero to 70 miles type of thing? I think that's such a great question. I, I segmented in four different quadrants. There's low value, low weight, high value, high weight, and the combination of the two. If you're going to talk about where does micro-fulfillment benefit a brand specifically in a category, I think you can make a really strong argument against each one of those categories from a profitability, a sustainability, a safety of delivery, a speed, you know, melt meltables, right? All of those things are critical. Like, however, they each have their own place in it. And I think like when you talk about even large furniture and major appliances, like there's a last mile cost on those items that you need to have something closer to the consumer to enable that, right? Um, but those products are really big. So micro fulfillment centers and holding them for more than you know, a day's time is, is a really challenging thing. What I have seen from all the analyses that I've done is that the biggest benefit is probably in the CPG category. When you have like, you know, a, kind of this low value, low weight item, um, even though that's a, I would also add the low value, high weight item like beverages too. Like, uh, like to take a step back, low, low value, high weight items and beverages, like, in my opinion, like microfilament is really one of the only chances for survival or profitability for that category of product type. When you talk about CPG in general, like core SKUs that are sold historically at Drug and Mass and Club and Amazon, like in those CPG categories, the large players that, you know, all use your tools and, and folks that, that have been selling in brick and mortar for so long and have translated so well online, like the ability to understand the consumer at a zip code level demographic and to be able to get goods fast into their hands, whether it's OTC or snacks or food, meltable and frozen foods is obviously a big component of that too. Um, I think microfilming is really critical for those businesses. Corey, thank you so much for bringing all this knowledge and passion for, for the area that you work in. I, I know it's a big focus of our of our listeners' agenda over the next year or so to just, like we said, rationalize every piece of the business that can be to drive towards a more profitable uh, and sustainable business. So I, I think what you've shared here today is really cool. Just want to let our listeners know it's davincimicrofulfillment.com. Uh, DaVinci, as mentioned, is uh, Leo's inspiration. Uh, and uh, and painted a nice Sistine Chapel ceiling. So that's how that's spelled. And uh, and it, it's um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, of course, there's also LinkedIn for them to reach out and and pick your brain. So thank you for for bringing, like I said, your passion and, and innovation to our listeners. We appreciate it. 
Uh, thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. So much fun. Thanks again to Corey for bringing the potential of microfilming to us. For more, please swing on over to digitalselfinstitute.org and become a member to keep up to date on the DSI. Thanks for being part of our community.